So the first one is worship, the first element. Second element is instruction. Instruction. And I want to break that down into two uh, teaching times. This week, we'd like to ta- I'd like to talk to you about expository preaching. And then next week, I'd like to show you that instruction also includes discipleship. That is, teaching people, believers, what Christ has commanded us. And so those are the two main elements we'll look at at those today, uh, this week and next week. The main thing I want to show you today is that image restoration comes through the power of the Word preached. Image restoration comes through the power of the Word preached. Now, in order for us to see that, we need to understand that there is a need for image restoration. There's a need for it because we uh, were created in the image of God. Male and female, He created them. In the image of God, according to Genesis Uh, the first chapter, I believe it's uh, chapter 1, verse 27 and following. So we need to be restored because we were originally created in the image of God, but then you see next that what happened was that image of God that we have in us was marred. It wasn't completely lost. Okay, We still all have the image of God even though we have sinned. And even though uh, Adam has sinned on our behalf, um, that image of God in man was, was marred. And so we need to have that restored in order to be in a right relationship with God. If you think back to Eden, what was taking place was that Adam and Eve were walking in the garden with God. They, were, they had perfect fellowship. And what you have from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 19 is that there, there is a distance between man and God and that they can't have that true fellowship with God. They can't have that perfect fellowship like there was in Eden And so what's happening in Genesis 3 through Revelation 19 is that that image is being restored. The image of God. And so that's what needs to happen within each of us. And what we need to recognize is that um, this image restoration takes place um, through the power of the Word. Let me have you turn to Colossians chapter 3 as we begin this evening. Colossians chapter 3. We will get to 2 Timothy kind of the key text when it comes to expository preaching. But I need to lay some groundwork before we get there. God is working to restore His image in His people. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the One who created Him. God is working to restore His image in man. And that restoration process happens when God does a supernatural work within the life of, of a sinner. He, he, he begins that process at salvation. So He begins this process of, of transforming that image back to His own, the way that He wants it. And then that image uh, restoration process continues uh, throughout our lives. And that happens through the power of the Word as well. So, salvation comes through the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 says that we can't call on Him in whom we have not believed. And that, and how can we believe without a, a preacher and so on? And um, the point there is that, that we have to believe through the, the preached Word of God or through the power of the Word of God. But also that transformation continues. At, that It's a process we call sanctification. So, when we come to Christ, that happens as a result of the Word of God. The process of sanctification, growing in godliness, that happens through the power of the Word of God. And then finally, that, that glorification or that final sanctification where we were made like Christ, 
happens because or as a result of the Word of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John says that we, when we see Him, we will be like Him, that is Jesus Christ, for we will see Him as He is. That's that final step in the process. Salvation, sanctification, growth, and then glorification. Finally being changed into the perfect image of God. And so if that process is what God is doing in us, then what would bring Him the most glory? If God is working to transform us so that we are more like Jesus Christ, so that on that final day when we're presented before Jesus Christ, we are accepted. If that's what He is doing, then what brings Him the most glory? And I would suggest to you that it is that we are transformed by the power of the Word. That's how we bring glory to God. Romans chapter 8. Let me have you turn there. Romans chapter 8. Verse 29. For those whom, whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. The design that God is, is working within us is, is for us to be transformed into the image of Christ. This is what this verse is talking about. Those whom He has already called, He has done it in order to conform them into the image of Jesus Christ. And how does that process work? Well, it happens through the uh, preaching and the teaching and the understanding of the Word of God within the context of the local church. The purpose of the church, you see there under um, Roman numeral 3, letter A, purpose of the church is to help believers increase in the knowledge of God. We saw that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says that, that you would teach them all that I have commanded you. And then look back to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. The goal here, Paul says, is for us to be presented in a way in which we would be accepted before God. We proclaim, verse 28, Him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul's saying it's not enough for a person to come to Christ or make a profession of, Christ, a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They, they need to be presented before Christ as complete, as mature, and that happens through the transforming power of the Word of God. In fact, that is the reason that the church exists. It is to be an agent of change, to help people to, trans to see the transforming and to feel, to respond to the transforming power of the Spirit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll see this a little bit more, more clearly. Still haven't gotten to our main topic here, but what I'm doing here is laying the groundwork for instruction, the, the element of instruction, and then I'll show you how it ties into preaching. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. 
verse 11 says, and he gave some as apostles and so on. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is head, even Christ, for whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So, we see in verse 15 that we are to grow up in all aspects uh, into Christ who is the head. Verse 14 says that we will no longer be tossed around by every wave of deceitfulness and, and trickery. And the reason that all happens, you can go back to verses 12 and 13, is that, that you're being built up within the context of the local church. That's what verse 16 talks about. For whom the whole body being fit together. It's not just the fact that you come to church and you hear a sermon. It is partially that, but, it, but it's more than that. It's doing it within the context of other believers who are also listening to that sermon. Also uh, thinking through what, what God is working on, their, on in their lives. And so I put a definition for you down in a book that I would recommend if you uh, like to read. This is called What is a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. Mark Dever is a pastor out of uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, he does a lot to serve the churches at large, not just his own church. He's working to, to get churches to focus back on the most important thing when it comes to uh, church life, and that is the Scriptures and the authority of the Scriptures. And so this is a helpful book. A lot of what we're going to talk about today comes from that as, long, as well as this, which is really a fuller, um, a fuller version of that smaller book. Okay, so what is a healthy church? And then nine marks of a healthy church, both by Mark Dever. All right, that was free. But his definition here in page 63 of what is a healthy church is a congregation of believers that increasingly display the character of God as His character has been revealed in His Word. So, that means that God's Word is the source of all spiritual life. Okay, that's your blank at the bottom. That's the only two blanks you have to fill. That means that God's Word is the source of all spiritual life. God's Word is the source of all spiritual life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan was tempting him, He said, here, why don't you just turn this stone into bread? And Jesus says what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he pulled that from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And what he was doing there was he's saying, you know what? You can't have meaningful existence apart, apart from the Word of God. You, you can have life. You can have some sort of existence, but it's not meaningful at all apart from the Word of God. There's much more to life than simply eating and drinking. And so the source of our spiritual life is God's Word. Jesus taught us that, and we see that throughout the rest of Scripture. And therefore, your second blank there at the bottom, therefore we must listen to the Word of God. Or in other words, we must listen to God speak. 
if the source of our spiritual life, if the way that we grow okay, from the very beginning, from the outset, from our salvation all the way through glorification, if that comes from the Word of God, then we must hear the Word of God being taught or we should hear God speak in the most simplest uh, way we could say it. And so that leads me to the definition on the back of your handout, expository preaching. Okay, big big terms there, but, but really it's it's simply preaching that simply exposes what God's Word says. In other words, the meaning of the passage is derived from the text. Okay, or the meaning of the sermon is derived from the text. He's not a, a person who is who is going through uh preaching through the Scriptures expositionally is finding the meaning in the text and then making that the meaning of the sermon okay, and driving that home as the theme. And uh, there are all sorts of other types of preaching. I'm sure you've, uh, you've sat under a lot of the, the other types of preaching. There are, there's topical preaching. In fact, what I'm doing right now is topical preaching. Okay, I'm not taking one text, drawing out the meaning, and then showing you uh, that that is the point for us and for our lives. Instead, I'm taking a topic, expository preaching, and I'm showing you from the Scriptures where that's helpful. But topical preaching is not good if we, if we have that all the time. Um, they're not inherently evil, certainly not. can be if, they're, if the preaching that, that is uh, done topically draws all of its meaning from the text. Okay? There, there's two ways that you can do topical preaching. Now the other the problem with topical preaching can come when and we'll get to this in in a in a few minutes here we get to the dangers of neglecting expository preaching but one of the problems is that that the pastor can basically come up with what he knows what he's read about and then make that the theme of the sermon teach that all the time pour that down you know pour that down the throats of the congregation and um and in many cases can miss what else is going on in Scripture can miss what God is trying to teach. And so expository preaching is helpful in that way. It takes the theme of the passage and makes it the theme of the sermon. There's also biographical preaching where a person takes the life of a Bible character and shows how you can be a good leader. For example, the book of Nehemiah. Okay, Nehemiah is not how to be a good leader. That's not what the book's about. But you can draw principles from that. And so people have done that sort of thing or from the life of David or Samson. Uh, those sorts of things. You can draw principles from that, but those aren't the main points of the text. So what expositional preaching does, or expository preaching, same thing, is that it draws out, it exposes. That's that word that's in that, in that bigger word. It exposes what the text says, what God has said, and it keeps us uh, on the right path, I think, in general. The benefits of expository preaching are at least twofold. One, it conforms the believer into the image of God, which is what we said our goal was, right? If God is doing this work in us, then we want to participate in this. We want to make sure that we are also uh, conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. And so, we uh, expository preaching helps in that way. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them, okay, make them grow in godliness by your truth, God. And then what does He say? Your word is truth. 
So the way in which we are sanctified, the way in which we grow towards godliness, towards Christ-likeness, towards this image restoration, is through the Word of God. So the benefit is that it, um, it conforms us to the image of God rather than the image of the pastor. What you can have happen is that, that a preacher can, can uh, tell you all of his ideas and keep preaching the same things over and over and over again, the same five, ten topics, and you can, you can learn a lot about what the preacher thinks, but you don't find out a lot about what God thinks. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. What I love about expositional preaching is that it it presumes that God's people are uh, should hear God's word and that they need to, and that even the preacher needs to hear God's word, and so it forces uh, forces both him and the preacher to learn things that they weren't expecting to learn. That'll be our next point, but I actually get ahead of myself. Second Timothy chapter four. Verse 1, I solemnly charge you, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who has judged the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Paul didn't tell Timothy to preach what is popular or what the polls are, are, uh, are saying at that point or merely some moral exhortations or historical lessons, Paul calls Timothy to preach what? The Word. They're called to preach the Word of God to the church. And when the apostles, you remember at the outset in Acts chapter 6, when they were, start, when they were starting to get pulled away from the preaching of the Word, what did they do? They set aside for themselves deacons so that they could take over some administrative tasks so that the pastor could spend his time Preaching and praying. That's exactly what that passage talks about. They passed on, uh, he, the apostles passed on their administrative responsibilities to other capable men so that they could give themselves to what they were called to do. You know, it, there are, there's great pressure in churches today for pastors to become more relevant in their presentation, to include dramas and video clips and dialogues and liturgical dances and things like that. However, there, there's something appropriate about, about a group of believers gathering together under a, one person who's standing in the place of God and, and not, not saying this is what you need, but rather like this, we are submitted to the Word. You see? I've submitted myself to the Word and I want to show you how we all ought to submit ourselves to the Word. There's no, um, there's no, um, there's no authoritarian type mindset. There shouldn't be. It should be a submissive type attitude from the person who speaks in this way. And basically, the main goal for both the preacher and the church should be that we hear God speak. That we hear God speak. And so you see, expositional preaching is really about biblical content. What we find in a lot of churches is that um, you could have your Bible there, 
they could read a verse and you could close your Bible and not ever touch it the rest of the service because it's not being preached. You could go to churches where they take one phrase and, and, and expound on some idea that's out there and maybe say a lot of good things. But if they're not preaching the Word of God, they're not preaching as they ought to be preaching. And so the second benefit is that it causes the congregation and the preacher to learn things that they weren't expecting to learn. You see, a preacher who decides his topic based on what's going on in society, I've heard of preachers who look at the top ten bestseller books and whatever kind of topics are in them, those are the ones that they want to preach because they know they'll get the ear of their, of their congregation. And you know what? They may, they may very well get their ear, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is for the church to hear God speak. A preacher who preaches expositionally forces himself and the congregation to continually learn from God, finding out what is pleasing to the Lord, Ephesians 5.10. And you know, isn't that the way that growth happens? It's when we start to see things afresh. We don't have it all figured out. Some of us have been Christians for a long time. Okay? I bet half of the people in here have been Christians for over 20 years. And we don't have it all figured out, do we? And so we need to hear God speak. And that's the way that growth happens. You wonder how some churches stay in existence and how they allow and even acknowledge and condone immorality within the church while still preaching something. Sometimes they're even preaching the Gospel. And yet they allow all these other things to go on behind the scenes. One extreme comes to mind of a church of, of thousands. I won't say the name, but immorality there is overlooked. And what you'll find is that these preachers will preach with passion and we could say with fire and, and, and a great desire to see people changed. But you know what happens? They preach the same sorts of message over and over and over again. And in doing so, they haven't heard God speak. They may have heard God speak in one area, but they haven't heard God speak. Particularly in the area which they're ignoring. It's very easy to overlook sin when when you get away from an expositional type of preaching. Now, I'm not saying that every topical preacher... Is, is a child of Satan or anything like that. Please don't hear me saying that. But I'm saying there's great benefit to expositional preaching because it, it takes what God has said, the, the things that He has focused on in the Scripture, the things that He's given page after page of. We say, well, we already heard that. Well, God wants us to hear it some more. And that's why we work carefully through each book of the Bible. And I hope that that someday we will be able to have looked back and say we have gone through the entire Bible. But that won't be the final goal because that doesn't mean we're conformed to the image of Christ even at that point, are we? We're going to have to go through it again and see what we missed the first time. And that is the benefit of expositional preaching. You know, I can think of a few times, uh, I can think of several times, but two specific examples step out, stick out in my mind of when the Word of God basically hit me upside the head from just studying it for what it was rather than doing this other method. You see, if, if I have all my ideas of what the Scripture says, well, then I'll just find some proof texts, find a couple Bible verses, and then I'll tell you what I think, and I'll say, well, this is what the Bible says. 
But if I go through through the passage, okay, we're going to go through Genesis, for example. I want to find out what Genesis 1 has to say. What is God saying there? I don't know what God is saying there. I have to study it for myself. And we're going to have to study it together. And so you see, it, it helps us to to hear God in that way. And I can think of two most profound um, examples in which I've studied and learned something completely new for me, or at least I hadn't saw it in that way before. Um, Jonah chapter 4. When we went through the book of Jonah, I was expecting to find out about a defiant believer and how God uh, and how he ran from God and how we ought not to do that and that sort of thing. I was thinking that was going to be the lesson. What I found out in studying it is that we have a merciful God who pursues uh, disobedient believers. And you find in the, if you look at it in the whole context of the book, you find out that God is merciful to the disobedient, both to Jonah and to the larger group of Nineveh. And God makes that contrast there. And, and the other one that really sticks out for me is Romans chapter 13. I preached this message right before the elections this last year. My anticipation with that message was to just show that God is sovereign. And He is. God is sovereign over all things no matter who comes into power. And what I found, and I think I hope you recognize, was that it was much more than that. It was that 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 I have a responsibility actually to submit to the government in every way. And that's not what I was expecting. In fact, if I would have done some sort of topical message on the government, that's not what I would have come up with. But see, that when you when you study the scriptures for what they are, find out what God is saying. What is the main point of the text? And you start to see what God wants us to hear. And that's the way real change happens. The dangers of neglecting expository preaching is that we can make the text say whatever it want, we want it to say because it's taken out of context. You've seen this all, the, all over. You, you turn on the TV and watch a preacher on there. You'll see it taken out of context. They'll take one, one verse okay, and they'll make it say whatever they want it to say. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. We'll just pick, up, pick out one here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Okay, so I'm done with my life. God's accepted me on the basis of what I have done. Okay, that, that's totally not what the, that Scripture is saying. But we can make the text say whatever we want it to say, and that's what can happen if we shy away from expository preaching. The preacher decides on a topic, begins a verse hunt, to see where he can prove his point, and, and he preaches it that way. However, expositional preaching is helpful in that we are forced to look at each text within its context. You see, we can't just take one verse out of Mark chapter 13, for example, and say this is what it means when we don't know what's going on around it. It would be like someone uh, listening to a conversation of you on the phone and hearing one small uh, phrase. For example, you say, I'm so mad I could kill somebody. And they, they hear that I, I could kill somebody and they take that to the, the government and say, I think that this person's wanting to kill the president. See, it's taken out of context. You didn't hear my whole conversation. That's not what was going on. I wasn't even thinking about the president at that time. Why would we interpret the Scriptures any differently? And that's why we have to understand things in their context. Expositional preaching helps us do that. 
the danger of avoiding it is also that it snuffs out the beacon of hope for the community around us and are really our own community of believers. First Timothy 3.15 says that the church is the pillar and the support of truth. What is the pillar and support of truth? It's the church. It's the local church. It is, it is that beacon of light that shines God's Word to all people. And then also, it can be a danger in that we will walk away with the same ideas that we came with. But if alternatively we allow expositional preaching to resonate from this pulpit, that pulpit, then we will be challenged to think God's thoughts after Him. And occasionally, as God does sometimes, we will be shocked by what we hear. Because we thought we had it all figured out and then we heard God speak from His Word as we understood it in its context and we said, wow, that's not what I... I have been doing. That's not the way I've been living. If we had it all figured out, you know, we wouldn't need God's word, would we? The word of God's the, the word of God and its function is not simply to inform us, but to transform us. It's to change us. And so if the word of God doesn't challenge us, then it hasn't done a whole lot. Now sometimes it's good just to know God better, but it should at least challenge our thinking, if not our actions. That's what the Word of God does as it transforms us. Move on to application. I've got five points there for you. Number one, preaching must be central. Preaching must be central in our church. The most important element of the church, of this church or any church, is not that whether we have great music or extremely friendly people, those are good, or all the programs that people want, the most important element is whether the Word of God is central. Is the Word of God revered in this church? Do people uh, live and, and love the Word of God? You simply ask this question about a church or our own church. Is it a place where the Word of God is learned? Is it a place where the Word of God is loved? And it is, a, is it a place where the Word of God is lived? If those things are a part of the church, then all the other things don't really matter. It doesn't matter if they have the best music around or the friendliest people or the best programs. Do they learn, love, and live the Word of God? That's the type of church that we ought to be a part of. And I hope that's representative of our church. Number two, pray regularly for your pastor and guest preachers that they will commit themselves to study the Scripture rigorously, carefully, and earnestly, that God will lead them to understand the Word, apply it to their own life and to the life of the church. My job is not to preach my own ideas or the latest news items or the latest topic on the bestsellers list. According to Paul here in verse 2, it is to preach the Word. So, you would do yourself well and your own spiritual feeding well, your own spiritual growth, if you prayed for me and others who are in this pulpit to be able to, to study well and to be able to learn what God is saying, it would do us no good if, if all the time that was spent was not spent studying what God was saying. It was simply trying to translate uh, my own ideas. Number three, give your pastor time to prepare good sermons. 
This is not a complaint. I am thankful for the time that I have to study the Scriptures. You can determine whether they're good or not. But if the church ever gets to a place where my administration, administrative abilities exceed my uh, exceed in, in time the study of the Scriptures, then, then there's a problem. And that's when we need to, to think about um, passing on those administrative responsibilities to someone else. That's what the, the the deacons did, and I hope you understand that I'm not trying to um, say anything here subliminally. I am appreciative of the time that I have, and I do, and I am thankful for the time that I have to do administrative work as well. But the primary task of the pastor is to preach. Number four, pray that our church would commit to hearing the Word of God preached expositionally so that the agenda of the church would be increasingly shaped by the agenda of God. It's amazing to think that in hearing the Word of God, we are hearing God speak. When I worked in accounts payable, I would get between 10 and 20 calls a day from vendors who wanted to get paid. And uh, at the beginning, I tried to answer them all, but over time, it just became way too much to try to return all those calls. And some of them were you know, sales calls. Those of you who are in the business world know what I'm talking about. You know, a lot of sales calls and, and so on. But if I were to get a call, and, and what I developed a habit when I could tell it was a sales call, I would have it put in voicemail or something. But, but if Alan Maloli ever called my desk and wanted to find out what our terms of payment were for our vendors and uh, wanted to know so that he could know how he should be paying us, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't say, you know, take the message, I'll call him back, or, you know, put him in my voicemail, I'll call him when I get a chance. I mean, it's Ellen Maloli, the president of Ford. I, I think I'll have time for him. I'll, I'll make time. And, you know, when we meet together each week, God is on the other end of the line. And He's ready to talk. Are we just ready to go into, put him into voicemail? You know, I, I don't have time for you right now. Come back when I need you. You know, what I've found in, in a, lot of the pe- a lot of the problems that we have as Christians, a lot of them could be solved if we would commit ourselves to a regular, habitual attendance to church services, hearing God speak. You know, sometimes we wait till, till things get way out of control. And then we, we come and, and, and we, I need some help. But if we would consistently submit ourselves to the teaching of the Word, now that doesn't mean there's not going to be any problems, but, I, but, but you understand what I'm saying. There is something to be said about us simply humbling ourselves before the Word of God as it's presented. And uh, if we, are, we would submit ourselves to that, I think we would do ourselves a great service to our own spiritual growth. And then finally, need to pray for churches and other church uh, in, in our area and state and nation and world that they too would preach the Word of God. That is their responsibility, to preach the Word of God so that God can be heard in the midst of this dark, cold, indifferent word world, this rebellious world that is hostile against Him. People need nothing more than to hear God speak. And that's what we, that is my goal in preaching. I hope that's in, your goal in hearing that you would desire to hear God speak. And there's uh, some great benefit to you to you uh, praying to that end. Praying for your own heart. Praying for the people within this church. 
And uh, I think God can do a great work in a church that, that submits itself to faithful preaching like that. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would never grow tired of hearing You speak. We pray that our, our greatest desire would be to, to know You better, to hear what You have to say, and to respond to it in the right way. And we pray that we wouldn't do it simply for our own benefit, but for the benefit of our church. We are in this together. We are growing together. We have uh, all we all have failures. We all have sins that we are holding on to, and we need others around us to help us to see as they show us from the mirror of the Word that we are disobeying you, that we are not bringing honor to you in the way that we live. Lord, help us never to grow prideful, arrogant about our own spiritual condition. Help us to to uh, continually be humble before Your Word and recognize that we constantly need change. I pray that the Word of God, every time it's opened, would be challenging to us, to our understanding about who You are, and in our understanding about who Christ is and what He demands. And as a result, we pray that this church and our individual lives would grow spiritually, that we would be accomplishing Your greatest purpose for the church, and that is to present us uh, perfect on the day of Jesus Christ. And that can't happen unless we are being transformed by the power of Your Word. Thank You for it. Thank You for leaving it for us. Thank You for Your Spirit helping us to understand it. May You change us by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.